I got a text message uh, on Friday, and it's a text message that was a, a bit of a shock, and it made me think, oh, what, what's going on? I got, a text me- I got a text message from the Commonwealth Bank. I, got, I do all my banking with Commonwealth. And the text message looked like this. Have my clicker working yet? Here we go. It said, Matthew Yates, your account may be suspended. Please complete verification. Um, and immediately I was like, oh no, what if I've been hacked or somebody stolen my money or, or what's going on there? Um, and, and so I clicked the link, which took me to this page, uh, which said, and I hear the groans because <laughs> uh, automatically everybody, we all have this filter in us that goes like, this is a scan warning, warning red flags, wave them around as big as you can. Because it's a bit weird. But for me, like that, that text message was in a thread of a bunch of different messages I'd got from the Commonwealth Bank. Like there were things like the, the verification code from when I set up Apple Pay on my phone and things like that. So it was so authentic. But I went to the link and I, I just paused and I thought, hang on a second, this is a bit weird. I'm not going to put my details in randomly. I'm going to call the bank and check, did they send me something or what, what's the deal? So I, I googled Commonwealth Bank contact details, it takes forever to find that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I called up the bank and uh, I spent about half an hour on hold to speak to a guy for about three seconds and the guy goes, that's totally not us, don't click the link. And I was like, I clicked the link. <laughs> And he's like, it's okay, did you put your details in? No, I didn't put my details in, it's okay. Um, and he's like, we never send you links, it's, it's fake. We, we would never send you a link, that is not how we operate. That's fake. And I think we live in a, a society where we're surrounded by fake messages. We're surrounded by fake news in our, our news feeds. And, uh, and even our, our advertising and messages that we receive are often doctored and altered. And, and so we, we actually are surrounded by so much information that we have to start to wrestle with what's actually real and what's not. And I think we're actually intuitively getting even better at doing that, at filtering and, and, and working out what's real, what's authentic and what's fake. And, and overall, amongst our society, I think authenticity is becoming increasingly valuable. Authenticity is incredibly valuable. And so... We've been talking over the last month about what are the values of, of new community? What are the things that we want to be known for? What are the things that we want to pursue? And the last couple of weeks, Troy talked about generosity two weeks ago, and then Troy and Bron shared about um, being relevant and accessible. And this week, I want to just unpack this idea of authenticity, and I, and I love that interview, like, it, and especially, Greg, some of your stories, they're just like so authentic and real, and, and I think as a community, we need to really value story and experience, because I think the more that we hear that, that's truly authentic, and it's really real. Um, I know for myself, I'm a, I'm a physio, I work at the Austin Hospital, I work in outpatients, I see a whole bunch of people after surgeries and, and um, fractures and things like that, um, and, and I'm supposedly an expert in human movement, um, I'll say that supposedly, I, I, I've studied, yes, um, but there are things that I don't know, there's things, and, and, and it's a bit of a, a big, big held secret amongst physios, we don't know everything, <laughs> um, and and I think, uh, like, one of the things that I struggle with a bit as a physio is that I feel like I should know everything. And so sometimes there's a gap in my knowledge or I'm coming up to see somebody with some condition that I'm like, I don't know what that is. And so I end up trying to um, find out what that is. And I'll often, often 
go to Google or textbooks or something like that to try and find out what that is, even though I sit in an office full of incredibly intelligent people, because I wouldn't want them to know that I didn't know that. Does anybody else have that sort of feeling or sensation and, and that you sort of hold back because, oh man, it would be a bit of a shame on me if people knew that I didn't know that kind of thing? And I think it's this, this impulse inside of us that I'm going to call the faking it impulse that says, if only I can just look perfect, do it perfect, work perfect and live perfect, then I can minimize shame and judgment in my life. Then I can be, maybe feel more okay with myself. The faking it impulse. Brene Brown, who's probably, she's a, a social researcher and, and a um, probably leading thinker in this area at the moment, um, says this about authenticity. She says, authenticity is the daily practice of letting go, the daily practice meaning it's a choice that we make to do, of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. You see, I think in as humans, I think we have this desire or urge inside of us that we're supposed to be a certain way and it can be incredibly um, crippling or damaging and, and even me as a physio, how, how more freeing would it be if I was comfortable to ask people and how much more would I learn and how much more helpful would it be for my patients if I was more free to just be authentic and go, I don't know that, Yeah? Also, I think when we live in this way of, of um, the supposed to be and therefore trying to actually elevate what other people perceive of me, we actually set up what I'll call the, the supposed to be trap for other people where they might look at us and go, that person's amazing and I'm not good enough. Yeah? This isn't new thinking, um, and I want to encourage you to, if you've got a, a Bible or a, a phone, I'd encourage you to whip that out now, because we're going to open to the, the book of Luke um, in chapter 18, and there's a story that Jesus told in the book of Luke. So if you've got a phone, you've got a Bible, whip it out, open it up, and follow along with me. And it's a story that Jesus told, and it, and it goes like this. Two guys walked into a temple. And immediately you think it sounds a bit like a joke. But he says, two guys walked into a temple to pray. One of them, a religious man, a Pharisee. The other one, a tax collector, somebody relatively despised by society. And, and the religious man prayed like this. He said, oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. Thank you, God, that I am so good. The other guy, the tax man, stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. How much more authentic is the tax man? How much more real is he about how he's feeling and, and the state of things in his life that he's actually comfortable amongst people in the temple to say, actually, I haven't got it all together. And God... I haven't got it all together, and be open and honest in front of God. And Jesus goes on to say this, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. I think that's quite clever. That's funny. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. In other words, I think Jesus is saying that you'll find that when you're content to be simply who you are with all your flaws and failings and challenges, that actually that is more life-giving than trying to portray that you've got it all together. Let me be authentic with you for a moment. 
a couple of weeks ago here at New Community, we had a, a women's weekend. Hands up who went on the women's weekend because it was a lot. It was like, yeah, so quite a, quite a lot of people in the room. Uh, I think it was over 70 of our, our women went away and spent some time together. And my wife was amongst those women Friday, Saturday away, which meant I had our two kids. You saw them up here before. I had our two kids for the, the 48 hours on my own. Um, yep, very alone sometimes. No, I... I uh, <laughs> I uh, made some plans, Cam Brooks and I, we caught up, had uh, lunch together on the Saturday because he was doing the same thing. Um, we thought, okay, let's be in it together. Um, after, after I went home from lunch on the Saturday, though, things fell apart pretty much. Um, I went home and, and kids went to sleep and they had a bit of an afternoon sleep. And then when they woke from their sleep, Jonah absolutely lost it. I don't know why, probably there's no reason or logic to it, but he absolutely lost it. And, and so I tried every trick in the book. We started with, okay, let's put some TV on. <laughs> and, and that didn't work. Um, he was still losing it. And I was like, okay, let's try and change his nappy. He did not want his nappy changed. Um, and then I was like, okay, let's get some food. That wasn't working. And, and I think he was probably going, I want to go see mum. And, and I was like, we can't do that. She's down and I don't want to go interrupt the weekend. And so I was like, did you want to go for a drive in the car? And he was like, yes, I want to go for a drive. I think he thought I was going to drive him to mum. Um, we, we jumped in the car, and, and the car, the petrol was empty. And I was like, oh, what? I, you've got this screaming child in the back. I've got Ariadne buckled in, and she's going, what is going on? <laughs> um, and so I, I go servo, fill up with some petrol, and I go, okay, Jonah, now we, we've, we've got some petrol in the car. Where would you like to go? He goes, the shops. Now, it was pouring rain, so we couldn't go playground. So I think he was thinking maybe a playground at Eastland would be a good idea. So um, it's about 4.30 in the afternoon. We head up to Eastland and, and embark on the trek to, to the playground. And, and Jonah's all of a sudden wanting to be carried to the playground. And I'm going, OK, I've got an happy bag. I've got Arietta. I left in such a hurry I didn't bring a pram. So I've got everybody in my arms. And I'm going, OK, making the trek down to the playground at Eastland. And... Um, yeah, we play in the playground for a little while, and then Arietta's cracking it because it's dinner time. And we're in the playground at Eastland, and I didn't bring any dinner. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, okay, let's let's head to Coles, and we'll see if we can get something to tide Arietta. We walk in, and I I just grabbed one of the mandarins from the big rack at the front there, and I just gave it to Arietta, and she's eating it like an apple skin and all and everything. Um, <laughs> and I thought. <laughs> An hour and a half, the kids will be asleep, Adelaide's playing the footy, and I'm an Adelaide fan, and so that'll be good. How about I just buy a, a small slab of, of ginger beer, and, and we'll just limp through the next hour and a half, and things will feel a little bit better then. So I go to the, the ginger beer aisle, and I pick up the ginger beer, and Jonah loses it. Not that drink, Daddy! Not that one! I'm like, what... And we had one of those quintessential moments of him lying on his side doing circles in the middle of the aisle in, in Eastland. And, and I'm thinking, I'm wrecked. And I'd actually, I'd actually had a day off work on the Thursday because I'd been crook. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm actually pretty wrecked. Anyway, I had a few like understanding nods from the people going past. Um, but it was hard. It was incredibly hard. And... and we, I managed to scoop him up and get him into the car, and I'm all, I'm all smiles now, but I was struggling. Um, and when we got in the car, I, I pretty much I lost control a little bit and, and let Jonah know that that was unacceptable, and, and, and I probably well, I yelled at him. Um, <laughs> and, and that was, um, 
that was hard in that like I, I was struggling and and then all of a sudden he's just feeling incredibly small um, and it's because he is incredibly small and I've yelled at him um, and so we get home and uh, head inside and I'm maintaining my grumpy persona so that he knows that that's unacceptable um, and start to get some dinner organised and meanwhile Ariad is cracking it because she's still hungry because the Amanda Impeel doesn't really sustain you. Um, <laughs> And so I make some dinner and whatever, and um, Jonah is at the dinner table, and he goes, Dad, I said sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so my heart melted a little bit. Anyway, we got through the bath and bedtime routine, but the next morning, to cut a long story short, World War III erupted. Um, and, and it started with irrational things like, uh, I don't want you to feed Arietta breakfast. And I'm like, she needs to eat, mate. <laughs> Um, and, and then I don't want you to put clothes on me, I don't want shoes, and, and it just escalated into World War Three, uh, of which he hit me, and then I just yelled and exploded, and it was not good, and we dragged him into the car and got to NCR. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like... <sighs> 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 um, and, and I had put him in crazy. I didn't actually... I wasn't able to do that in the morning, but, but I got out of the car at NCR, and, and a really lovely thing happened in that when I got out of the car, um, Abby Rutherford is... Abby, Abby here somewhere? I'm not sure if she is, but um, Abby Rutherford was getting out of the car just um, across the car park, and she came over and could see that I was a bit wrecked um, just to give me a hand getting the kids out of the car, and um, Jonah was still cracking it. Actually, no, he'd fallen asleep in the car, which she doesn't normally sleep till 3 o'clock, and it's like 9.30. I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's why I didn't go into crash. Um Anyway, so go inside, Abby helps me inside, and then while I've got him asleep and Arietta's playing with Abby, I get to have a really authentic conversation with Pete Steele, um, which was incredibly freeing. Um, it was just an opportunity to say, this is what my life has been like for the last 24 hours, and I lost control. And Pete listened and nodded, and it was really encouraging, and he said one question, and he asked me, so did you lose control? Or were you able to hold it in? And the fact that he asked that question told me that he understands. He's been there and he knows. And that was an incredibly freeing thing. And Pete and Bron are laughing at the moment because they, they've been right through that at the, at the moment, I think, with, with their lot. But um, it was just such a freeing thing to share vulnerably with somebody and have them share back and have a mutual, mutual understanding. You see, I think when we're authentic with each other, it's incredibly life-giving. And I want to point out three areas of authenticity that us as a community, that we can cultivate a culture around that are incredibly life-giving. And the first is that, that it's incredibly life-giving to be authentically vulnerable, to actually share with each other openly of what's going on in our lives and that we don't always have it all together that we can find encouragement from each other. And also to be, to be vulnerable with God too. To actually say, hey God, I, I'm not all there. I'm not all together. I actually have some things I need to work on. And it's actually in that place and in that space that Jesus can start a transforming work in us when we actually allow him to speak into the brokenness and vulnerability of our lives. The next one I want to pick up on in terms of culture that we can cultivate as a new community is that we need to be authentically exploring, exploring who Jesus is, exploring life and life at its best. I think sometimes when we're pursuing a good life 
as followers of Jesus, we can almost put up a construct that if we only act like this, be like this, talk like this, this is what a Christian is like. Or even, what was it, Greg, that you said that the guy was saying, or Stark raving mad Christian. Um, but we can almost set up a construct of this is what a Christian is. Um, that it almost is a mould that some people don't fit. It's almost like, uh, we, I want to use this analogy of like trying to keep uh, sheep within a, a field or a paddock. And, and we put these fences up of expectations and behaviours and language and, and things like that about how it is to, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And what that does subtly is actually create a divide of those who are in the, paddock, in the fence and those who are out of the fence and actually can act as a barrier for anybody out of the fence to engage and actively explore faith. That we actually authentically need to be comfortable with people of different backgrounds, different walks, different journeys. And sometimes that's a challenging thing for us. Sometimes that actually might provoke fear in us about, but what if, but what if? It's actually a more healthy model to imagine that that paddock has a water source in the middle of it. And that water source is Jesus. And when we, as the sheep in the the paddock, actually encourage each other to move towards this water source, we're transformed more into Jesus' likeness. We don't need those fences and constructs. That actually, we need to give each other permission to ask the challenging questions, to wrestle with the, the things that you... Oh, should I wrestle with that? Is it okay to ask that question? Or it's, give each other permission to, to come towards Jesus no matter what walk you've come on or what journey you've been on. It's an incredibly um, freeing thing and Jesus-like thing to hang out with people who are of different walks of life and encourage them to drink from the water of life that that Jesus offers, the power that he offers to transform our lives for the better. And that's really where it leads us to this third thing of what it means to be authentic as a community, is that I think we need to be authentically human. You see, there is something innately human in us that is spiritual. We as humanity spiritual beings it's innate in us it's it's we're created that way and and when we engage with our humanity in its wholeness including our spirituality we actually have a bit of our life almost completed or unlocked when we go to jesus with our incompleteness with our brokenness with our failings and flaws with our vulnerability we actually become more human we 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 set things in order of how the world is, is supposed to be, where, where God is God and I am not. And that is authentically human. And it gives permission for God to be at work in our life. And it's good. It's really good. So I'm going to invite the, uh, Pete and Craig and the guys. They're going to sing a song in a moment. And I just want to create a space where you might actually enjoy reflecting upon these things of what does it mean to be authentic and it might be that you you challenge yourself or wrestle yourself with what is it that i need to activate in my life to be more authentic firstly it might be that you need to posture yourself in a position of vulnerability whether that's in a triplet or or whether that's just the way that you talk with other people in your life that you're actually not portraying this image of of having it all together but actually acknowledging authentically and when it's there 
that you don't have it all together. Or maybe it's posturing yourself in a way that gives other people permission to do the same. Maybe it's a, 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 that you might want to activate in your life a, a way of operating, a language, a, a way of um, speaking with people that doesn't set the bar here to be able to access Jesus, that actually you give people permission to ask tricky questions or permission to be different or come from a different journey or background, but still encourage them to seek out the water source of Jesus and let Jesus do a transforming work in their lives and not put these bars in front of them that says, you can't engage with Jesus unless you can do this, this, this or this. And lastly, it might be that you sit there and you go, I just need to pursue Jesus. There's a, a part of my soul that is authentically human that has not really been unlocked yet, which is the idea that, that God is alive, God is real, God is authentic, and I need to engage with him. I need to pursue him and have him start to unlock and open up this fullness of life that comes when we walk life with God. Because in a nutshell, he just wants you. As you are, he wants you. With all of you are, including your flaws, failings, challenges, doubts, questions, he wants you. Authentically you. He wants you. Thanks, guys.